Great to see you. Hey, I need to give you advance notice, mentioned it before, but on the 13th of October, mark your calendars, because Searchlight Theatre Company, remember they came out last year, and we have a full-length play that will be happening here Sunday evening, October the 13th, uh, Chariots, the story of Eric Little, the story that's been immortalized by the movie Chariots of Fire. And I know it's way off in October, and you're thinking we're in the middle of summer. Actually, right now we're not, are we, uh, today? But uh, it's a way off, but tickets are available online. Love to see you there. Well, last weekend we were looking at the Passover, the Passover, and following that, uh, as we continue this look at the journey of uh, the Hebrews through the book of Exodus, uh, they cross through the parted Red Sea, uh, they are rescued from the Egyptians. They have a big celebration. They have a big party. They have a big party. <laughs> need to emphasize that whenever I say party, people think I'm saying potty. <laughs> and it creates confusion. So everyone's happy. Honey, then pass me a tambourine that I might headbutt it. This is, this is fantastic. <laughs> and the party lasted about three days. Then the whining started and the grumbling. So we're going to look at that this weekend. Where's the drive-through is the title. Where's the drive-through? Exodus 15 and verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Or if you want to use more update language, where's the drive-through? I love drive-throughs. We don't have drive-throughs in England, so uh, I think that they're kind of fun. I love drive-through banking. Are you like that? I, I love that, driving up and putting that thing in that tube, and I feel like I'm launching something. It's really exciting. My wife tells me that it's pathetic when I do actually do a countdown before pressing the button. She says, that's, that's really silly. But I like that. Drive-through fast food could be a challenge for me because I never get what I order. They never understand me. I say, I'd like a hamburger and fries. I get 47 apple pies. It's the only time I ever try to impersonate an American accent when I go through a drive-through. And it sounds like a drunk person from Texas, I'm sure. I told you recently that I'm probably the only man in Colorado who went through a Starbucks drive-through the wrong way. <laughs> Cashier was kind of confused, as was I. But the idea of a drive-through is that it's about convenience. You get what you want. When you want it, you don't even have to get out of your car. Hooray. In the Exodus story, drive-throughs weren't invented. And the people of Israel weren't too happy about that. I want you to imagine this, a huge column of tens of thousands of people, a huge caravan, if you will, in the desert, women, men, children, animals. I checked the map this week. They'd, in three days, they'd only covered about 15 miles, but now their water supplies, they would have carried water in skins, their water supplies have run out. It's three days in, they don't have anything to drink. And I think it's really important to say that it's completely understandable that they'd be concerned about that because water is the primary need of the human body, isn't it? You can go a long time without food, 
but not very long without water. We have got to have that. And I want you to imagine the situation. They're trudging along, and someone sees a wadi up in the distance, and they, it's like, great, at last, we, we've got some water. But when they get there, it's undrinkable. It still is. The place called Mara is now called Hawara. And there is still a pool there. It's a basin of about six or eight feet in diameter, uh, about two feet of water in it. And it's still thought of, if that's the location, as being the worst water in the whole neighborhood. You see, the question, what are we to drink, was completely reasonable. What was unreasonable was the attitude that the question provoked. And they became critical fault finders. Now, time out, everybody. Because I'm a pastor, and I need to make a little disclaimer here. Sometimes preachers use verses like this to give the impression that if you have got a contrary opinion to theirs, or if you've got a concern about church, that that's automatically grumbling. And that is manipulative and wrong. We need to be careful about that. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. But an opinion can distill itself into an attitude that is described in Jude in the New Testament as fault-finding. Jude 16. These people are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And that's what kicks in here. And so begins... Three episodes of criticism for Moses. They grumbled when he went to Moses, uh, when Moses went to Pharaoh, uh, and Pharaoh said, I'm going to double your work. The Hebrews got mad with Moses about that. They grumbled at the Red Sea, and they said, you've only brought us out here to kill us. This is all part of an elaborate conspiracy. Uh, in fact, through the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, they grumbled through most of it. And the danger is we can become the same where complaining takes root in our lives for any number of reasons. In this text, it's about fear. It's about panic. It's about disappointment or bitter episodes that come, and we complain. And let's face it, some of us just love to complain. It's kind of a hobby. You know, we like it. Jane Wagner wrote, I personally believe we develop language because of our deep inner need to complain. In their complaining, they become consumers. You see, you know, don't you, that we live in the ultimate consumer culture in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, Vicki Robin, who wrote Your Money or Your Life, she said, Americans used to be citizens. Now we are consumers. And that's not a problem, of course, that's limited to America at all. What's a consumer? A consumer says, serve me. Everything's got to be built around my need I'll get mad with you really quickly if you don't. I don't have any brand loyalty. As long as you serve me, I'm around. The danger is that we can become church and Christian consumers. This week, I entertained myself by watching the 1998 keynote launch of the iMac computer by Steve Jobs. It was, it was a fun bit of viewing, not just because of the appalling fashions, but because... Uh, he was describing a revolutionary new computer that's probably got about the same amount of power as the watch on your wrist right now because things have changed so much. But what happened is we got iMac, 
we got iPhone, we got iPad. And I did some research. Why did they call it I? They called it I because of internet, but they also called it I because of individual, me. And the danger is we can have iMac, iPhone, iPad, iChurch. You know, we even, we even hear the phrase, don't we? People say, well, I'm, I'm just church shopping right now. What? What is church shopping? Now, I understand what we mean by that. It might be that we're, we're looking around and we're trying to prayerfully think about where we might fit. And Pastor Brent was absolutely right. We want to honor and pray for and bless the churches in this community. We do that every week. But there is a danger that we start to think of church like a commodity. I'm just church shopping. I mean, imagine I church. We could have greeters at the door, and as you come in, they could say, welcome, welcome to Timberline Church. We'd like you to be seated according to your preferred expression of worship. Would you like to sit in clapping or non-clapping today? <laughs> and you could say, well, had a bit of a rough week. Could I possibly sit in non-clapping, non-smiling, non-listening to the sermon, non-singing, and non-giving in the offering, and non-participating in the service in any way whatsoever? Could I sit there? Oh, I'm very sorry. That section's always very full, I'm afraid. We... <laughs> Just messing with you. Just messing. Ralph Winter says, Israel wanted to be blessed, but didn't want to be a blessing. And this consumerist critical spirit can enter our church life, it can enter our marriages, our friendships, and as we become critical consumers, we become even more critical. It's like a vicious circle. And this stuff has been written for us, for our instruction. This, is, this Exodus stuff is not just a history lesson. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Do not grumble as some of them did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So let's have a look at this in detail. Follow along with me. It, when it comes to criticism and a critical spirit, rather, let's remember the big picture. Remember the big picture. We're people of the kingdom. The song that's in Exodus 15, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. In Exodus 15, these people knew where they were going. They had a promised land vision, a kingdom vision, if you will. But now that's all got narrowed down to their own personal comfort. Princeton sociologist Robert Wuthno said this, at one time, theologians argued that the chief purpose of humankind was to glorify God. Now it would seem that the logic has been reversed. The chief purpose of God is to glorify humankind. Spirituality is no longer true or good because it meets absolute standards of truth or goodness, but because it helps me to get along. I am the judge of its worth. If it helps me to find a vacant parking space, then I know my spirituality is on the right track. But if it leads me into the wilderness, calling me to face dangers I would rather not deal with at all, then it's a form of spirituality I am unlikely to choose. They forgot where they were going. It was all about their comfort. 
They forgot who was with them. Exodus 13, 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God was there. They just had to ask him for some water. But they forgot that. And then they forgot where they'd come from too. They were slaves. And I kind of forgot more about that in a moment, but you know what I found out? I found out that saved sinners tend to be more gracious than pious saints. When we remember how much we've been forgiven, we're perhaps more likely to pass grace around. Let's remember the big picture. We're people of the kingdom. Secondly, when we're tempted to be critical of what is, beware the temptation to romanticize what was. When we're tempted to be critical of what is, beware the temptation to romanticize what was. Look at 16.3. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Oh my. Maybe they did have plenty to eat. There's no suggestion in the Exodus narrative that there was a shortage of food. But they've conveniently forgotten stuff like, let's think, oh yeah, infanticide, the death of our firstborn. Forgot that. They conveniently forgot the harsh whips of the taskmasters on their backs. In other words, they've romanticized their history in order to complain about what is. And we can do that. Oh, I remember the good old days. But we edit out sometimes some of the challenges. Or we can live a displaced situation or attitude where something's always better over there or maybe what's up ahead is going to be better. We don't live in the now. Paul Tournier said most people spend their entire lives indefinitely preparing to live. I turned 57 this week. I know, it's shocking. I know it doesn't look that way. I know, it's another birthday. Something, there's a mistake. Something's gone wrong with the documentation. It can't be true that I am 57. Because in here, there's a 19-year-old. Some of you know that feeling, don't you? You see, I don't want to look back and go, well, I, I remember when I was, or look forward to, or well, I remember when I will. I want to live now. I want to seize the day. I want to mop up the gravy of those moments with friends and loved ones and live and not just fantasize about what's over there or what was back there or what may be up ahead. Thirdly, spectators shout loud and participators work hard. Spectators shout loud, participators work hard. Exodus 16.3, you have brought us out into this desert. In other words, fix it. 17.2, so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. In other words, fix it. You know what I've noticed about people who spectate, particularly in church life, well, in any sphere, they tend to just be loud. I've, I've told you before about going to ball games. I, I, I went to see the Rockies. That's, that's baseball, right? Is that right? I do not know what's going on. I haven't got a clue. I tried to understand it. I could tell you about cricket. That lasts for about three weeks. 
baseball. Forgive me if this is your glorious sport, but uh, the statistics, what's that about? Yes, this, this pitcher has chewed gum 93.72 times in the last four days. I don't care. <laughs> but I have noticed when I go to those games, because I just watch the crowd, the spectators are the biggest experts in the ballpark. They know how the game should be played. They haven't lifted a baseball bat for years. They're just lifting pizza to face. <laughs> are you a spectator and you're loud with it? Are you someone who takes and not gives? When you first come to Timberline, it's all right just to show up and sing and not give in the offering and not invest. That's all right. But don't stay like that. You ever, you ever been around people that they're takers? You've been around people, you go out for dinner with them, and when the check comes, they mysteriously disappear to the bathroom. And they don't come back for a very long time. Oh, did you pay the check? Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Are we participators? Here's a few questions. Boy, I'm really messing with us this weekend. By the way, I'm not preaching to any issue. I'm preaching the text, okay, just so you know. Is my decision about where I attend church based on my personal tastes and preferences? Do I see myself as primarily an individual who comes to worship God but should not be expected to form relationships with others in the body of believers? Oh, no. Let me tell you something, folks. Greet and see, it's nice, but it's not the sum total. Hey, how you doing? Fine, let's listen to the preacher. If that's it, there's more. Do I see the church as providing a product or a service, good religious feelings, self-help programs, children's activities, practical advice for living successfully? Do I operate under the notion that I will leave it when I don't feel like I'm getting my money's worth or proper service? Is my loyalty to the local church like loyalty to a particular business? And the writer who asked these questions said, consumer Christianity promises freedom and fulfillment through unlimited individual choices and getting just what we want. Yet it's actually a form of slavery to personal desires. It wraps us in the chains of greed, covetousness, and self-centeredness. We surf from one option to another, looking for something to satisfy us while we neglect the simple truth that it is in giving ourselves away to Jesus through service to others that we find joy, meaning, and blessing. Is it time to graduate from spectating? Number four, avoid suspicion and scapegoating. Avoid suspicion and scapegoating. They accuse Moses of having this conspiracy to starve the entire assembly to death. It's, it's kind of weird that they would so quickly get so suspicious. But have you ever met people who so like to complain that they actually get disappointed when there's nothing to complain about. I, I need to be careful here because British people watch these services. Okay. Out, I, you probably don't know this, but uh, the Timberline services go out every week on Christian TV in, across Europe. Doesn't cost us a penny. It's an amazing gift that we experience and it's on the internet. So British people watch this. And I need to be careful because I don't want to avoid the lynching. But British people can be pretty negative. How are you doing? You say to an American, fine, fine. 
Say that to a Brit. We say, not too bad. <laughs> have a nice day, says the American. Say that to a Brit. They might say, I'll have whatever kind of day I want, thank you. <laughs> Here's my least favorite. How you doing? I can't complain. I'd really like to. Just can't think of anything. I'm sure something's around the corner. And we get suspicious and we see ulterior motives behind everything. I think we need to believe the best of each other. 1 Corinthians 13, love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Number five, let's know that God hears grumbling. God hears grumbling. Exodus 16, 8, you are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. One of the phrases that we often use in church life when we're mad is we say, I'm offended. <laughs> it's funny that. It's like the I'm offended comment is the trump card. Like, we can't possibly offend you. Can I just say because I love you and I'm saying it to me, sometimes we just need to be offended. And sometimes when we're offended, you know what we need to do? We need to grow up and get over it. My task, the task of those who sit at this desk, is not to say things that necessarily always make us feel happy. We need to allow the Word of God to offend us. But sometimes in church life we say, I'm offended, and it's like that's the, that's the biggest blasphemy. Sometimes we just need to get over it, grow up, and realize that we're not part of a corporation. We're part of God's church, his bride. I married my wife Kay 35 years ago. We were both 11, and when? <laughs> she was 17 minutes late. And I'm over it now. I am. When she finally arrived, anticipation having been built, and terror also, she came down the middle aisle of the church on the arm of her father. Can you imagine if some guy had stepped out halfway down the aisle, he looked at her, and he looked at me, and he said, Jeff, what are you thinking? Man, she is ugly. I don't know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, no, it's more likely that they'd have been saying, yeah, that was me. You know what? I would have been upset. I'd have said, excuse me, that's my bride you're talking about. I want to make it clear again. It isn't that we should silence opinion and uh, we should shut down conversations and live in terror. But let's remember, we are talking about God's church. It is his. It's his bride. Let's remember that. Number six, criticism can be a cover for our own sin. Criticism can be a cover for our own sin. Exodus 16, 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They are condemning and criticizing Moses, but they don't have the slightest concern about obeying God themselves. I have become convinced that sometimes hypercritical people are trying to work off their own feelings of inferiority. 
And what happens at times is that we especially criticize others for stuff that's going on in our own lives. I went to a beach one time. It was in Israel. I was so looking forward to it. I've waited for years to go to this beach. It's called Tabgar in Galilee. It's where Jesus fed his friends breakfast in John 21. I've just written a book about that chapter. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. I so wanted to go to the beach. I went there, and there's a gate, and it's a holy place, so there's a church there. And there is this kind of irritated-looking priest, like an attack priest, sitting, <laughs> sitting at the gate, kind of glowering at everybody. And there's a big sign up that says, holy place, no shorts. In fact, believe it or not, I'm not making this up. There was actually a sign with a red circle with a, with a drawing of a pair of shorts and a line through it. That's cute, isn't it? I was wearing shorts. But I thought, it'll be all right. You know, it's no big deal. They're respectable shorts, you know, cowboy boots. It's good. Just kidding. I always say that. So I, I slipped past the priest, and suddenly he yells out at me, Shlaka! Shlaka! Now, my Hebrew is limited to two words, shalom and oi. Because you, you always say that at the end of a worship song, don't you? Like, oi! <laughs> da, 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 oi! He said, no shorts. I said, sir, I've come a long way. This is my favorite biblical episode, John 21. Please let me in. He said, all right, but pull your shorts down over your knees. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for the image that is now impressed upon your mind, which will never go for the rest of your life. Live with it. Pull my shorts down, which created some other problems. And I, I felt compelled to put my hands behind my back. And I'm walking around the beach, trying to have a holy moment, and, and I decided to get out of there because it's embarrassing, because people are looking at me like, what's that dude doing? And uh, I walked back past the priest, and as I looked over at him, I realized the awful truth. He was wearing shorts! <laughs> he was really good at accusing me of that which he was guilty of. Now, I know he wasn't actually in the shrine, but, you know, we can do that. We think about our own shortcomings. <laughs> Get that? See that little link there? That took about three hours, that one. And I think I'll forget it. We get into our own issues, and then we try and deal with that by criticizing others. It can be a cover for our own sin. Lastly, number seven, know that a critical spirit leads to cynicism and unbelief. A critical spirit leads to cynicism and unbelief. Exodus 17, he called the place Mash and Moriah because the Israelites quarreled and because they had tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Hello, you've just seen the Red Sea part. Pillar of fire over there, 
pillar of cloud over there. What do you mean there's the Lord among you? But you see, critical spirit leads to cynicism. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard it, heard it all before. John Hawkes in his book, The Traveler, he talks about this kind of apathy and cynicism. He said, I spent my time drinking and staring at a television in the airport bar. More death and destruction, crime, pollution. All the news stories were telling me to be frightened. All the commercials were telling me to buy things I didn't need. The message was that people could only be passive victims or consumers. And you know, a critical spirit will lead to that kind of cynicism, unbelief, apathy. It will rob you of the imaginative side of your faith. Do you know that imagination and faith are connected? Not in some weird way, you know, you can have whatever you imagine. It's not that stuff. But there is a sense of imagination about faith. How can it be that I'm pregnant, says Mary? Well, with God, all things are possible, says the angel. Expand your imagination, honey, because there is a God, and he's able to do more than you can ask or think. But cynicism creeps in and stifles that. We, we all had such great imaginations as kids. My grandson sent me a birthday greeting, a video this week, them dressed up as pirates. And they, they said... They, they wish me a happy ho, 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 ho birthday, granddad. And they got their pirate hats and they're jumping around. And their imaginations are amazing. I buy them a gift. They don't play with a gift. They play with a box. Yeah? Why? Because they can dream. And then we grow up. Yeah, it's the real world. And there is an element of faith, which is the ability not to believe in fairy tales, but to know that there is a God who is able to break through the hard crust of the present reality and do something bigger. But cynicism and a critical spirit, it stifles all of that. Well, as we conclude, there's one other verse that follows immediately here as part of the Exodus 15 through 17 narrative. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Do you see what's going on here? The journey was the test. The journey was their education. And guess what? God often establishes college campuses in wilderness locations. I don't like that. I want to learn the lessons of life on a Hawaiian beach. But it's not that way. And maybe you are in a wilderness right now and there's been a lot of complaining and murmuring. As we come to prayer, let's ask God to help us to pass the examination and to have hearts that are open and tender and gracious and generous. Let's pray. Lord, you showed yourself gracious in, this, in these episodes. You responded to a grumbling people who grumbled their way through 40 years. Lord, I pray that as we take some moments here to just reflect on your word, Pray that you will help us to respond. 
I've got two questions as our heads are bowed. Some of us, it's time to graduate from spectating. I want to say it again, lest anyone misunderstand. If you're relatively new around here, you, f- you feel completely free to relax and look around and take it all in. But for some of us, it's time to graduate from that place and start investing and giving and serving, and finding the joy that only comes from that. It's so much better to play the game than it is to watch it. And of course, it's not just about what we do in this building. The kingdom of God is not a church building. We serve God as agents of the kingdom 24-7. But it might be that specifically God is challenging some of us to step beyond receiving and spectating. And it's time to go deeper now. It's time to invest. As our heads are bowed, if that's true for you, I'd love to include you in prayer. Can I ask you just to slip up your hand? If that's the challenge that God is bringing to you right now, would you do that? And thank you for your bravery in doing it. You can put your hands down. The second question maybe is a little more difficult. And that is an awareness that you've got that you tend towards being a critical person. And I want to tell you something. If that's the way it is, it's going to be harder for you to respond right now because your temptation is to think, that it's everybody else's problem. That's what a critical spirit does. Ah, yeah. It's not me, it's everyone else. But you know that in church life, in life, it may be in your marriage, if you're married, in friendships, your default that you slip into easily, like a car that is out of alignment, and you take the hands off the steering wheel for a moment, and it starts to drift over, it veers over, and you know that you veer towards a critical attitude. I want to ask you as I look around right now, if that's true of you, would you be bold enough to bring that to God and just slip your hand up so I can see it right now? Thank you for your bravery. You can put your hands down. We pray for each other, Lord. We're all in this together. We all have the same capacity. For those who are wanting to dig in and invest, show them what it means to graduate from spectating. Give them wisdom and direction and a fit for their lives. And for those of us, Lord, who recognize in us this tendency to be critical, I pray, Lord, not just for behavioral change, but for inner resolution. Go to the roots of why we are as we are. We talked about imagination today, Father, and we want to dream of what can seem like the impossible, and that is that we can change. But by your Spirit, we can. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that work in us. And as you do, we want to earnestly cooperate with you. So thank you for grace. Help us to pass it around. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. What a remarkable statement we've just made. great I am. 
Just think about that before we rush into another week. The, the king of the universe. It's comforting and it's challenging. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of standing on holy ground, drawing near to worship you together today. We thank you that this truth, that you are the mighty one, the great I am, is more than a song, a happy time, happy way of finishing our gathering. Make it a truth that galvanizes our faith this week. Thank you for your generosity and grace. Help us to be people who pass it around. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. Our prayer team are here. If we may pray with you, that would be a real privilege. So travel safely. God bless.